0: Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will
1: never stop learning and never stop laughing. We could
0: do a, three se- a, series, <laughs> a series of
1: a series of. Three. <laughs> <laughs> NSL Double Talk featuring
0: Chris Johnson and Lior Sarkaz. Their topic today is sake and spice and everything nice. Chris, otherwise known as the sake ninja, has immersed himself in the study of sake in the restaurant business. He has held positions with some of America's best restaurants, including Baltazar, Bond Street, Capo Massa, and L.A. Sheen. Much like a nose in perfumery, Lior uses his fine-tuned palette to create memorable flavors. Lior is a chef, spice blender, and owner of La Boite, Biscuits and Spices, a spice shop and art gallery in New York City's Hell's Kitchen. He is also the author of The Art of Blending and The Spice Companion. We are so excited to welcome Chris and Lior to NSL Double Talk.
1: Hi, Chris. Hi, Lior. How you doing? I'm great. Good How'd seeing you? you. Good to see you, too. excited yeah. to talk about spices and sake today. I want to
0: learn more about sake.
1: I want to learn more about <laughs> spices,
0: so we're in a good place. You're in the right place. I'd say, you know, I know of sake and I've had sake and, and a lot of people, but, you know, might be silly. What is sake?
1: So, simply put, obviously, I could talk for a very long time about sake, but for now, we'll just say that it's a fermented beverage from rice. So very simply put, it's made of four ingredients, rice, water, yeast, because that's how we get our alcohol. That's the fun part of the party. Yeah. And then a little microorganism called koji, or aspergillus oryzae, which converts starch to sugar. And yeah. that's the four main ingredients. We ferment it, and after a nice brief period of time, we have a beautiful beverage that's delicious.
0: Could it be sake without alcohol? Not, not really, Right, yeah, not really. <laughs> then it wouldn't
1: be sake. Sake, by definition, is is alcohol, so it kind of needs that little bit. But we do have some things called amazake, which is no yeast, just the koji. So it's a beverage that they drink like on New Year's Eve and stuff with the family.
0: Sure, and on a personal note, you drink sake at any given time, any meal, any particular pairings that are better than others?
1: Beautiful thing is my new hashtag, sake pairs with everything, um, is the wonderful thing about sake is that it really does interact with food in a way that other beverages don't, mostly because there's a thing, in a, and we'll talk about the tastes that exist and how spices help evoke those, but it has umami, which is the fifth taste. If For those who don't know it, umami is that savory or that deliciousness that we've discovered is a whole nother taste besides sour, sweet, salty, and bitter. And it has that, so it really elevates all the different foods around it. I guess a two-part question is
0: how Japanese perceive this idea of having sake with, I'm going to exaggerate, but a pizza or popcorn? And two, what are the big differences between Japanese sake consumption to global consumption?
1: So to the first half of the question, the beauty of Japan and the beauty of this beverage is the producers are making it to be enjoyed. So whether it's enjoyed in Japan or anywhere else in the world, that makes them happy because they're artisans, right? We're all we're making a beautiful product. So they're not necessarily against that idea, and they love that aspect. Even the Japanese government has a a new group focusing on sharing sake with the world and pairing it with different foods. So they're very open to that idea, and it does go with pizza. We'll talk about that (laughs) later. And then uh, second half of the question...
0: Just, I guess, between tradition, what would be the traditional way of of drinking sake in Japan?
1: Even though there's a lot of sake around the world, it's still less than probably 15% of the total production, you know and maybe less than that actually leaves Japan. So the the amount of sake leaving Japan is still not an immense number. Um, It's drank all the time in Japan. It's served warm a lot. Even though we talk about hot sake, bad sake in the U.S., that's (laughs) not really necessarily true. Uh, It's just about how well you heat it and how you interact with it. But so the idea of the consumption is still mostly consumed in Japan, no doubt about it. When it comes outside of Japan, most of the sake that we're getting, just like what happens with wine, is in France, table wine is drank much more than these fancy premier crew but you don't hear about them but that's what is on the table every day when you come home from work and you're having a glass of wine it's just the local wine that's, that's made simply same thing goes for sake sure they have the same kind of thing
0: sure and is there a question of aging and vintage or not as much developing developing it's a developing <laughs> question
1: uh Modern sake, sake's been around for over 2,000 years, but modern sake, this daiginjos and ginjos and all these fancy sakes are relatively new in comparison to that. So aging is something they've just really started getting into. And sometimes it works great. Sometimes Sometimes it it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't work so good. (laughs) Uh, So you're leaning towards that. But one of the things that happened, which is cool, nice little segue for me, is that when you age sake, it develops spicy notes which is really interesting. You start to develop these notes like turmeric and cinnamons and notes that happen in the aging process, the oxidation basically um, of the sake causes this really intriguing new level of flavors that you don't get normally when you have sure. the sake.
0: Yeah, and and I guess it's also based on the quality of the rice and the, the origin of the rice itself plus the person making it plus because the person making it's it. a four-ingredient item. There's room for error. The
1: brewer has a, <laughs> brewer has a lot to do with what's happening Not that a winemaker isn't involved in the process, right? Obviously, the winemaker has a lot to do with making a great wine. But in the sense of if I get a great bunch of grapes and a really great vintage and I don't do anything wrong, the beverage I make will still be pretty good. Sure. Whereas if we both get great rice and we make sake, it's not going to be the same... And the odds are someone who doesn't know very much about it will not turn out a great sake. I have a lot of people who've brought me sake over the years. Like try my sake; it's delicious. And you're, you're always like, great. nope, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you made a really good effort. Thanks for trying.
0: So I Answered. so I walk into a restaurant. I sit down. The sommelier comes, or there's a their wine list, and so happens that they're innovative enough to have a, a nice sake list. Where do I go? What what do I do to begin with as a non connoisseur? Price so, would be better or not necessarily. <laughs>
1: Price is relative. It's to style, right? So Daiginjo is considered, at times, was considered the highest quality sake. But Daiginjo is more expensive because it costs more. You need more raw material to make the sake because you're removing a certain amount of the grain. So to make a Daiginjo at 40%, you need twice as much as that regular sake at 80%. So what I say is that for beginners, new people, generally, ginjos are the most approachable. But if you know that you like Cabernet Franc and heavier, meatier reds, Pinot Noirs, you want to go towards the Junmai category. I know, If you like much more elegant layered things, you want to go towards the Daiginjo category. But in general, the safest place to start is right in the middle at Ginjo.
0: Got it. Between yeah. the unfiltered, the filtered, the, and, and whatnot. When I go out and, and eat things like sake or even tea are very interesting because a lot of people talk about pairing. What if we could take two things that don't necessarily go well, and you could get to a third place that's much more interesting for both products?
1: I would agree 100%. I think one of the things that's great about that comment is that sake, again reverting back to that umami comment, has glutamates. So glutamates are those little beautiful amino acids that help create depth of flavor. And umami doesn't work like one plus one. Umami works like one times seven right? And if you have an additional umami to another product, glutamates plus glutamates makes this amazing flavor. So you may not think that sake and cheese go great together, but man, oh man, you get some serious fun tastes when you put (laughs) sake and cheese together. So you have those kind of options of it. And that's the exciting part about sake when it comes to food. But for me now, a question towards you is what got you into spices and how do you believe spices help develop flavor and tastes in, in the cuisine that you're applying it to?
0: I cooked for 20 or so years in Israel, then France, then New York, and all along the way something was kind of calling me. And I realized people had no idea when it came to spices and even well-renowned chefs that were using spices were just using it because it was part of their recipe. Never have they sat down and said, hey, is this the best that I can get? And let alone home cooks, which is a whole other challenge where a lot of people just don't use them because it's intimidating. And I really took upon myself this idea of of reviving the spice trade from its complexity to go to the farmer and then the trade and bringing it to household and restaurant. I believe that not everybody should cook. I don't know who came up with that concept. But if you happen to eat, which we all do, uh, you should care about flavor and scent and taste. Otherwise, you're eating something that's bland. And if you care about that, then you need seasoning, which to me is spices Because nothing so far is sold in the market pre-season. Perhaps one day there'll be, you know... I don't know.
1: My mom used to make Hamburger Helper a lot when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure there was some (laughs) pre-season spice in there.
0: But for the most part, you need to season your food. And even if it's one or two things, that's fine. Uh, Wouldn't you want them to be the great quality or good, good quality for you? And that's what we're trying to do for the last 12 or so years. Everything is worth exploring. If it doesn't work, at least we've tried.
1: Right. That's important. I like that idea of of helping to educate the community or the chefs that spices evoke flavor. Like They have have a huge component in what you taste in the final product. It's always interesting to me when someone talks about a spice rub that they created for such and such a dish, and I'm always intrigued as to what made you put these things together to create (laughs) that flavor. And I'm sure some of it's trial and error, but there's a component of understanding. I think that's something cool about what you do is that You've studied all these, you've learned which sour, why mace works with cinnamon or anise, yeah. in it, but it doesn't work with something else. And that's the study, which is super intriguing.
0: I have yet to meet two things that don't work together. It's just about the balance right. between them. My blends are dishes. You can apply them however you want. They don't have a specific usage. And when I make them, one of the things that drives me is how many more things can people do with them? the same way that, you know, uh, in the mind of, of that sake maker in Japan, he doesn't make it for a dish. He's trying to make the most balanced or unbalanced or perfect or, or interesting blend of rice, water, and whatnot to make a great drink. Right. I encourage people to mainly taste and smell things and try things so that you can identify your your own self. What do you like and dislike? The fact that I like a particular Dish or beverage doesn't mean that you're gonna like it. Right. We don't all taste the same. We don't all smell the same way, and it's kind of funny because everybody eats and drinks every day. But when you ask them about what they like to eat and drink, they, they are lost at loss of words.
1: Not sure what to say in the beginning. Well, like for me, when it comes to herbs and spices, certain things there are people who just despise coriander and cilantro. Right?
0: We are able to prove them wrong.
1: An interesting note you said about you produce it and then it's not mine anymore. One of my favorite quotes from a a Japanese producer was like when someone says, should I heat this up? Should I drink it cold? Should I pour it on the rocks? Should I make it into a cocktail? And and I always say what he said. He goes, it's mine until you buy it. Yeah. And then it's yours, Yeah, right? So then you enjoy it how you enjoy it. Like he used to drink one of his sakes, like a really high-end sake on the rocks. And all of his producer friends would be like, you're crazy, why would you do that? Until they show up in Niigata, go to his brewery, and he takes them to his local favorite chicken place. And he says eat this chicken with my sake on the rocks and do it. And you look at him and you go, that's genius. (laughs) (laughs) But again, his whole thing was, it's not mine anymore. I created it to be delicious, but how you enjoy it is how you enjoy
0: it. I I 100% agree that you got to help certain people and and lead them to a direction. But at some point you cannot be in their kitchen every night pouring sake and I cannot be there cooking every night. You got to take some responsibility at the end of the day. What got you into sake? I mean...
1: Alcoholism? No, I'm not going to say that. Sorry. Um, just kidding. As much as I went and lived in Japan for uh, three years after college teaching English, I drank sake when I was there, but I wasn't necessarily in love with sake. Uh, my real aha moment in sake happened as I was leaving. We had a big farewell <laughs> party, um, and one of the gifts I received was one of the big 1.8 liter bottles, the Magnum bottles of sake. And I already packed up three years worth of stuff, and I'm sitting there in my head going, "Oh man, what yeah. am I gonna do with this? I don't want this. Like, how am I gonna? Yeah. I can't carry this home, and it's just sake. I don't know." Needless to say, I my you know three years of being there, and my, my mom's Southern upbringing taught me to uh, say, "This is a wonderful gift. Let's share it together, and we'll enjoy a, a one last cheers or one last kampai as a group." And this was a ginmai daiginjo from the best producer in the neighborhood, you know, the next door town, quite famous. He has sake here you know, pour it out, uh-huh. raise the glass, say pie, and I take a sip and I'm like, what
0: is this stuff?
1: <laughs> you know, like, how could I not have had this this whole time I was here? So when I got back to the U.S., I had decided already to get into the restaurant industry. And as I did that, I started studying sake. So started as a prep cook in Midtown and was studying sake the whole time and just kept going and fell in love with the whole idea. And
0: do you think that there's a big change from you coming back to the US after oh. three years to what's happening today. Crazy. Yeah.
1: I think there were fifty sakes or so, maybe a little bit more, like generally available when I got back from Japan, and now there's over a thousand easy.
0: And you think or, it's a global phenomenon? I
1: think it's growing. Japanese food for a long time for Americans was sushi and benihana. You know, <laughs> like those are the only two things that existed. And so it was like, okay, not necessarily that sake doesn't work with those items, but it's a very specific sake[s] that pair perfectly with said cuisine. So people got trapped in the sushi and sake, sushi and sake, or Japanese cuisine is only raw fish. and So yeah. now we have ramen and we have takoyaki and yakisoba and we have tempura places. We have three tempura-only specialty restaurants in New York City. Now people are starting to get it, and now that beverage starts to come to show. People like, well, what would you have with this in Japan? And so now we're studying the beverage more and more. And I think that's great where the, the world is getting it. Sake is expanding into Europe way more than it used to. You might not know this, but I work <laughs> as a work for an importer, and part of my job is going to places like Illinois, Ohio, Minnesota, soon Colorado and New Mexico to help promote sake. And so we have a community in the U.S. that's getting more excited about it.
0: Sure. You know? I think it's a very approachable uh, beverage, uh, while again not to offend the winemakers and, and whatnot. If it's not good, it's sometimes really not good. While I think that, and I perhaps don't know, that the worst sake that you've ever drank was, okay.
1: So, you know, we're talking about cooking, and obviously chef-driven understands how to cook food. What are the spices that everyone should have at their house? Like as a home cook, let's say the top 10 spices that you need to have, don't count salt and pepper because that's kind of a... It's own thing, but outside well, of salt, well, and even pepper, what even what
0: with do? those, and and I know people have this idea that they should own uh, a pepper mill and some sort of a salt shaker, and I don't think that's the case, because perhaps you don't like pepper. Right. Uh, the things that are important are heat, yes. and and when I say heat, it could be pepper, it could be chilies, it could be uh, it could be Szechuan peppercorn, it could be the idea of heat is important, and salinity is the same thing. You know, most cookbooks or, or recipes end up with that horrible phrase that says "season to taste with salt and pepper." Yeah, <laughs> I'm working really hard to change this idea and and change it to "season with sodium and heat," um, because salinity is important. Uh, so it could be salt, but it could be uh, capers. It could come from fish sauce, sauce, sauce anchovies. Yeah, sauce or exactly. Or and the heat. And and what about acidity? What about fat? What about bitter? What about sweetness? So all of these things are completely neglected. So. If we were to remove the salinity and heat factor out of it, I think that smoke is important. Whether it is, let's say, a smoked paprika, a black cardamom, um, a black cumin, for that matter, would be great. Some uh, savory notes, mm-hmm. like cumin, that deliver a lot of gamey savory notes. Sweet is important, and cinnamon is one of my favourite, but not cinnamon as we know it in everything, uh, in large amounts, and a variety of cinnamon, so that's also important. Depth, like paprika, that has a lot of body and a lot of depth to it. Acid, for sure. So whether it's dry lemons, lemon peels, uh, mango powder, sumac, all of these great acid notes, which really make and break uh, a lot of dishes. The beauty of these spices is that you don't have to spend much time cooking. You can add them at the beginning, during, and after, and really develop such crazy layers of flavors really quickly. And for somebody who came from the restaurant world where you had spent days on, you know, making a stock and then reducing it yeah. and then mounting it with butter. And, 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 you know, three days later, you want to jump ship. The home cook doesn't have that time. Right. They want to make dinner in 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and that's what we're trying to show people is like, hey, you could just use a couple of spices very quickly without even cooking. It could be raw and you get a great meal right away. That's awesome. Yeah. So... I think that's great. And what I'm excited about, and I try to do it at you know my local wine store, when I go there, is like, don't let me go to the usual aisle. Show me something different. And I've started doing this exercise, I don't know if you do it, is to cook for the beverage.
1: I mean, I do do that. I try and find that place where... I say sake pairs with everything, and it it can just because of the structure of the sake as we've spoken before about the the glutamates and the amino acids and the low acidity that's in sake. So sake has this savoriness and it's lower acidity than wine, so it's able to complement a lot more things than wine can. Sometimes that acidity in wine is amazing, but sometimes that acidity in wine also causes a problem. As much as wine and cheese always sounds like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, it's not always the no. best thing that ever yeah. happened, right? Like, if you just grab a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand and say, let's have some cheese, a lot of the cheese isn't <laughs> going to work, right? right. Because that acidity is off the charts. Whereas with sake, it doesn't ha- it's not having that battle. It's going to do things to your menu that these wines can't. And now your job as a psalm, at least for me, my job as a psalm and and part of what we're even doing here now about never stop learning is also never stop teaching and never stop expanding. And It's like my job is to have you come in as a guest and say, show me something. Take me somewhere. If you're at the wine store and the the manager at the wine store, the psalm of the wine store, you should take me somewhere. You bring them somewhere they haven't been. Yeah and enlighten them to something new. And that's part of never stopping to learn, right? You're always learning, you're always educating, you're always tasting. That's kind of the fun of expanding sake into these realms of non-Japanese cuisine. And with the component of how sake and spice can work is that even when something's subtle in a dish, what sake does is it elevates those flavors.
0: Absolutely. I think one thing that I respect about, you know, the making of it is the purity if you picked a batch of, of sake today from the last year and put it in the lab under my, they're not exactly the same. And that's the beauty of it. It's They change. They're different. Seasonality, I'm sure, plays a big role in the harvest.
1: Yeah, the goal of a sake producer is generally to create a similar profile every year. Um, but that changes year to year due to the fact that was it a dry year, was it a wet year, is the rice hard, is it soft? what's the weather, what temperature was the yeast at. You know, so they're constantly adjusting each year to try and get a very similar product at the end. And then now there are some guys that are trying to get unique. We have single rice field sakes now. Okay. Right. So they're producers that are making sake from individual plots. And then they'll have three. Everything else is exactly the same. The yeast, the temperature fermentation, the time of fermentation, all the things that the rest of the process is exactly the same other than They took rice from the valley and took rice from the mountain Mm -hmm. and then made the same sake, and here's the difference. So we're starting to look into that. Some of that might be the drive for the unfortunate international consumer that's always looking for somewhere to spend more money. So, you know, like how do you make something become more (laughs) valuable? You're like, oh, it's single vineyard. You know, So it becomes a single rice paddy sake. But it's intriguing because we talk about rice having a huge influence in the sake but not as drastic as one would think and then when you have a sake that's done like they just did and you go wow you can really taste the difference so all this plays back into the component of flavor and understanding and then pairing of foods with different sakes
0: yeah i think it's you know i think a lot of our the palates are burnt from very extreme flavors a lot of the product on the market uh, mass produced no offense there's a lot of good stuff a lot of restaurants to prepare food it's too harsh in a way that we're unable to detect these very delicate flavors, like the difference between different rices or even fish, right. a raw fish. Uh, I remember my person I consider my mentor and, and chef in France came back from Japan after going there for at least 10 times. He said, I still don't understand cooking. I was like, you don't understand cooking? How is that possible? He said, it takes me three days once I get there to you know, clean my palate and go back to be able to taste pure ingredients and and all of that because we eat a lot of salt and a lot of heat and a lot of sweetness and a lot of acid uh, in a way that we just uh, you know are unable to identify and, and that's something that's important on the other hand seasoning food is important it helps you eat just a little bit of something and not having to eat a lot of it if it's seasoned properly and it could be the ingredient that's just naturally flavored with its own thing or, or correcting it. So I think that's another thing to do that's very interesting.
1: What's your favorite spice and food combination? I don't like know. if you were to pick one thing like this is wow. I will love it when I take a white fish and I do this rub on it. Or if I just and it could be simple. It doesn't have to be a gazillion ingredients, but just like one little this is my every time I want to show off how simply delicious spice can be, this is what I do.
0: I usually take a cucumber you know, that's where people are kind of like blown away with just, just cucumber. It's like, well, A, it's a good cucumber. Yeah. Uh, and B is just to season a few things on it. Let's say it's whole caraway seeds and a little bit of ginger and a few flakes of, of coarse salt, like gray salt. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is a life-changing experience. Like, it's just a cucumber. right? But it's another level because I think a lot of people connect to it if it's something familiar. And when I do cooking classes, for instance, I always teach people known recipes, or something that they've had before. Because if you start teaching them a new technique, a new ingredient plus new seasoning, that's where I think you lose a lot of people. It has to become part of their everyday life, which I would think the same way with, again, pairing sake, saying, hey, the fact that you bought a bottle of sake doesn't mean that you need to eat Japanese food. Right. You could still have meatloaf, perhaps, I don't know. Does it work? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Or have a a spaghetti or or have whatever it is or a tuna casserole uh, with sake, which is totally fine. And that's what makes the whole experience much more fun and easy. Because you don't want to complicate people's life, and that's something that we do. I am from the Middle East, so I have my 10 or so spices, that the cumin, the coriander, the caraway, the cardamom. They all start with C for a very interesting, I don't know why.
1: <laughs> I have all those in my in your spice sati- cabinet. In yeah. my spice oh, in cabinet, a spice I got cabinet. cabinet. so I'm, I'm good so far. But I'm I'm trying to
0: you know step a little bit outside of it uh, and explore other flavors that I wasn't. I didn't like saffron for years, mm. uh, which people usually raise, an I was like, how can you not like saffron? I was like, I just didn't. I didn't grow up eating saffron. It was very harsh, especially if you get good quality saffron. If you get some mediocre ones, eh, it doesn't make much difference. But when, once you've seen an Afghan or an Iranian one, it's it's pretty mind-blowing. Whether you like it or not, you cannot stay indifferent. And I've learned over the years. Same thing with the clove. I had mediocre clove for years yeah. you know, of my life. Uh, and once I discovered good quality, it's life-changing. So what i try to do is say hey even what you already have let's let's look at it again you know let's let's try and change it
1: that's awesome. And try and yeah,
0: and try and the sourcing because at the end of the day, you want to have a fun life, and and food and drinks are a big part of it.
1: A huge part of it. <laughs> I always feel bad when someone says like, "Oh, I don't care what I eat," or "I'm not that into food." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like, I'm so sad for you. I want you to love food because it's so important. It's like, it's not just what makes us continue to exist, right? You need food to exist, but it's also that idea of it can bring immense joy, right? And the proper use of spice and all that also brings immense joy for, for anyway, like when I cook at my sister's house and I, I taught my, my nephew kind of how to cook. He's now been on Chopped and done all these kind of interesting things. And, you know, so every once in a while, he says, my uncle's an okay cook. So
0: how do you see sake for the next, I don't know, God knows how many years? Where would you like it to be?
1: Everywhere. Um, I, I think. <laughs> I think the idea is just, just like you with spice and the component of sharing, so when I say everywhere, that's a little bit of sarcasm thrown in there. But the thought is that the more people that get exposed to it, the more joy it can bring. So it's the idea of the more I know about spice, the more I can use spice, the more I use it at home. That means the more people that I expose it to, and they can understand the beauty of of spice and sake and and food. That's where I want it to be. I want everyone to have the opportunity to try it, right? The Brooklyn Kura in Industry City there's a new sake brewery in New York City. That's like, amazing. That's great. You can go taste sake that's fresh like it just they pressed it the other day kind of thing and that's something that's great and that's really huge for sake that all these breweries are popping up. So that's kind of where I see sake is that it's growing everywhere. And then for you spice, I know you do classes and fun things like that. How do you see spice growing? Just the same way we try to continue
0: the exposure and the awareness of people, again, both spectrums, the professionals and the cooks at home. One of the big things for me is to take it outside of the kitchen where most people will think of spices. There's so many other application in terms of sweet and savory and beverages where people already use spices, but they just never gave them enough attention And I think the future goes also back to the farmers, which is something that we try to do is get better production, more smart production in better quality and facilitate just a trade that is it's not complicated, but it's also not easy in terms of getting good stuff and I don't know if above and beyond everything but one of the big things is domestic spice growing which I'm a big ambassador of and and the the more people I meet it's like hey can we grow stuff here it's never going to replace everything that we consume it's going to be a while but we can grow a lot of things domestically like you said we could go to Brooklyn Industry City and get sake why couldn't we go to Jersey and you know get some sesame seeds and and other stuff that will grow in certain climates here
1: so the next thing is a sake and spice extravaganza. Uh, the S and at S. Your, at your store. sake and
0: spice <laughs> and extravaganza. All right. And the more the merrier.
1: Maybe spectacular so that we can say what the S is. Yeah. Sake and spice spectacular. <laughs> and then and we'll, we'll, that coming to a theater near you soon. Soon enough. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great chatting with it was you. It's nice talking to you too. Thanks.
0: For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes.
1: Subscribe now and never stop learning.